and welcome back to another episode of the Vet Nurse Diary. Today's episode I'll be discussing scopes, which we use a lot in the vet world, and a little bit about deciding on what area I want to work in because I've got a job proposal lined up. So this week at work it was pretty chilled week. I was on inpatients all week. Um, uh, which was nice. We didn't have too many inpatients. Um, we had a pancreatitis case that I had for a couple of days that went home successfully and that was a really nice dog. Um, but also I had actually a cold this week. Um, so Wednesday morning I sort of, yeah, woke up with normal um, sneezing, you know, cold sort of symptoms. I was um, okay to go to work because I had a sense of smell and taste. I had no cough and no temperature so they did my temperature at work as well when I got to work um but I felt so um uh like lethargic I suppose I haven't had a cold for a whole year well over a whole year now um since lockdown started the first one so um it was funny to have a cold and it was kind of good that work was so chilled that they let me go home on Wednesday, um, my head nurse did, thankfully, and just have a CPD day. So um, I just came home and did a lot of um, webinars. I think I did about five webinars on the Wednesday where um, that counts towards our CPD um, yearly uh, total. So you have to have 15 hours of CPD to be a registered vet nurse in the UK here. Um, so I've already got to my 15 hours already and it's only March. Um, but yeah, it was good to be able to go home, come home and just, um, hang out for a day. And I think that's why I got over that cold within like three days because I had the Wednesday, my CPD day, then I had the Thursday off and then I was back at work on Friday. So, um, it worked out pretty well, thankfully that it was, um, chewed enough to let me go home. And because on that same Wednesday, I had the second series of, well, the second lot of the um, emergency webinar that I did. So I tuned into it via Zoom um, for the end of it to answer the live webinar, uh, the live questions, because the rest was pre-recorded. So I did have some questions uh, that day. I think it was like three or four questions. So that was cool. Um, and in total, over the two sessions that we had, I had 46 um, people who watched and over 70 or 80 who signed up for it. And the same as a lot of the time, like when I sign up for webinars, you can never do them at work because you sign up for them and it always gets busy during the day or, um, yeah, you, you can't actually sit down and watch them. So the rest of the people will, I think, get the webinar sent to them. I think, by a Dropbox they were trying to organise. So that's cool um, to be able to get it out to more people. Um, and I discussed the whole webinar last week as well on the last week's podcast, I should say. So, yeah, so the rest of the week, um, uh, well, the other days that I was at work, I was just doing inpatients and I was helping out um, the referral cases. Um, we had a couple of scopes. Um, but before I get into that, I there has been a job vacancy come up at my current work for a night nurse, um, which I'm thinking about because it is seven nights on and then seven off. 
Um, so you work a week and then you have a whole week off, which, I mean, it sounds good to me because currently my partner and I are just trying to get through to be able to travel over here in the UK before going back to Australia probably in September. Um, so we need as much time possible to be able to travel as quick as possible if things do open up once we're vaccinated, um, which should be uh, by July. So, yeah, I think doing the ninth, uh, it would be really, really hard. And there you're at work from 7 p.m. to 8 a.m. with an hour um, dinner brekkie break, whatever you want to call that time. Um, so, yeah, I am honestly thinking of it as well as anyone who's probably been listening to the to the podcast that I have been missing the sort of more high-paced emergency work, which sometimes on the night shift they do have emergencies in, but you sort of just have more responsibility of all the patients. And I sort of do miss that um, from other jobs that I've had before as well. Because in referrals you're more a part of a, you're a key person in a part of a team who supports the vets or the vet needs multiple nurses to do small jobs or big jobs. And it's sort of not just yourself. Um, you've always got other people to help you um, do really quite intense procedures, which is good at the moment. But it's just interesting to think if I could choose what I wanted to do, I might like that more fast-paced um, after-hour work. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, this main reason is to then facilitate my partner and I to be able to travel that week that I would have off. It's also obviously more money, um, so my partner would, he's thinking of finishing his job next month, so then we can just put all of our effort into attempting to travel if we can, which we might not be able to, which is, you know, we are aware of that, being in, living in the UK at the moment. But, yeah, because we obviously... We really do need to start to think of what we can do, what's practical for us to be able to do over here and then just to get home as well um, because we have been away for a year and three months now from Australia and my dog is missing me. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got um, a bit of time to decide. In, I've got two weeks until I do one night shift because um, they need some nurses to cover some nights. So that's just going to be like a sort of example of what it will be like for just one night, which won't give a great example, but, um, yeah. And then I'll let my head nurse and my managing um, head nurse know whether or not I do want to officially apply for the, the night nurse position. <clears throat> um, I have worked nights before, usually like three on, one day off, and then back to mornings. So I think what I've worked before is more physically um, – harder for the body to change over instead of seven nights on all nights um, because at least, well, it's sort of a more of a routine, I suppose. Um, and you, I would be working with one vet, um, myself the nurse, and then one kennel assistant as well who would be helping me um, do all the checks and walking the animals um, and helping with sterilisation of kits and all the general, you know the general cleaning and stuff as well um which is more cushy than what I've had it as well usually it's just a vet and a nurse um and one of my colleagues is like I used to work with she's in a job where she's just the nurse at night as well and she calls in the vet um if need be so yeah it's interesting to think 
what that I might be changing jobs in the next couple of weeks. And I suppose the podcast has definitely facilitated me thinking more about, um, you know, what I would like if I got to choose. Because I think a lot with vet nurses, you sort of, you take, you take any job you can sometimes. And then some, some nurses I know, they only stay in that practice because it is, they've built up a report with their vets and their bosses and they feel comfortable. And to be a nurse, like, and enjoy your day, you do have to be feel quite confident and quite comfortable trusting each other. So a lot of nurses do not move practices that much, probably for that reason. Um, <clears throat> so I sort of, I think it's good for me to put myself out there again, um, possibly to then, you know, so I can choose what I want in my life. So I can actually decide, right, well, this, I've loved referrals and by all means I might be staying in referrals and I'll enjoy it because I love the people I work with. Um, but that sort of lifestyle of having one week on, one week off would be pretty cool come summertime and when we can actually possibly travel, which we was what we were meant to be doing this year, not just working. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit exciting. Um, I think my partner is really excited for it as well because, um, yeah, because it will be obviously, um, you know, it might be upwards of £600 extra a month. So um, we can you know, he probably won't have to work. He's going to try and find work at the same time, but um, it would just be a nice lifestyle to be able to travel and just spend our money that we've been saving while in lockdown. So that's sort of personally what I'm sort of with at the moment um, thinking about. But going back to the cases we had this week, um, my one of my favourite things to do at work or to be a part of, I should say, is dealing with um, foreign bodies and scoping them. So to sort of explain, I suppose, so you can get uh, diagnostic imaging via endoscopy, um, which is pretty much uh, endoscopy is like to use, um, it's an optical device. It allows you to um, visualise the inside of the body of different body cavities um, and provide uh, a really, usually a really good quality image um, to then decipher what is going on in that organ or that cavity. Um, it, we use it a lot for foreign body um, removals and it can also be used to take samples um, or to remove organs as well without the need for large surgery. So it does reduce surgical time as well. So um there's with the scope that we used on Friday for a case it was um a, fl a flexible endoscopy so uh these are the long long ones you see um that bend a bit more um so they can be used for um upper GI tract so that's um gastroduodenoscopy you know, denoscopy. Um, they can also be used for, um, uh, you can have rhinoscopy as well. So that's the nose or pharynx um, that we do a lot of with cats. And uh, the other ones you can use are lower GI tracts, so colonoscopy. Uh, you can also do um, the one we used on Friday with just with a gastroscope. Um, and we were retrieving. Um, from a cat, um, a rubber band. So the cat had ingested the rubber band and we went in with a scope 
to remove um, the revenge from the stomach. Um, it usually involves anaesthetizing the patient, so giving a pre-med, giving an induction agent, um, I think we use Alfax, induction drug, and then keeping on um, a maintenance agent, so an inhalant of um, isofluorine. Um, and that's when you intubate the patient and they are, they are kept asleep, pretty much. <clears throat> and then usually it takes, it's always funny, we, we do this procedure with, often it's with the medics, the medical vets, sometimes with the surgical vets as well if they've been referred the patient first. This patient had come from our first opinions team, and this little kitten, it was like nine months old cat, it was the most beautiful cat. Um, and... So usually the sort of joke for nurses is to say how many nurses it takes to help the vet because some vets that I've worked with have upwards of four, five maybe nurses helping with these procedures, holding equipment, holding the patient. You've obviously got one nurse dedicated to monitor, monitoring the patient, so monitoring the anaesthetic, making sure they're not feeling too much pain and they're um, anaesthetised and they're breathing well, all the vital signs like a normal anaesthetic um, and then you'd usually have the vet who's holding the scope and next to her would be a large scope towel that's got the um, uh, the actual scope tower it's sort of like a computer that you can see pretty much that has an image on it okay because it's a visual um, an optical device so you can actually see it it's the same with human um, medicine if anyone's well it probably wouldn't be no one would see those ones because usually you'd be knocked out as well. So that's probably a bad reference. But anyway, it's a lot of um, cords coming out of a device that you get to see the light at the end of the scope, pretty much. That the vet then puts down the, um, the esophagus of the patient to see down and it goes through um, into the stomach. Usually, well... There's a sphincter at the beginning of the stomach that um, you, it, it does take the vet a bit of effort to get the scope into the stomach. Um, but, yeah, so it's sort of hard to explain <laughs> verbally. But you usually also have one nurse who is holding the um, patient's uh, well, head. Um, this, the, the gastroscope one, we do, you do in lateral position. Um, I think we did this one in right lateral, but it can. It's usually they prefer left. Um, so it does depend which which vet decides what positioning. So it's the cat the cat was on their side, and I'm I was holding the jaw up um, and the tongue out as well because the scope sometimes gets stuck when inserting the the tongue gets in the way a little bit. Um, and then yeah, the vet also at the end of the scope it's um, it can move. Um, to change directions to visualise in the stomach or to get through into the stomach. <clears throat> like a sort of, um, yeah, it's got like a, how would you describe it? Like it's a, sort of like a finger, like your finger, how it can sort of bend around pretty much. It can bend around on itself. Um, so, yes, we, we visualised the rubber band. It was suspected the cat had eaten the rubber band. It hadn't presented with vomiting or anything like that. The owners had just said the cat has just eaten the rubber band. And it was one of those big rubber bands, like, you know, that you'd wrap around newspaper, I think. Um, so, yes, we saw the, the bit of the uh, rubber band. And then into the, the, the end of the scope that the vet's holding, we can put forceps to grab the object. 
there's so many different types of forceps that you can use. Um, the ones that we were using, they've got rat tooth ends on them. So they have a sort of grippy hooky bit at the end that you put down the scope and it comes out at the end in the stomach or in the orifice that you're in. Um, and you can see it with the camera. And so you have to sort of try and poke to get the rubber band. Sometimes I've seen vets get foreign bodies out in literally like 10 seconds. So yeah, it can be done really quickly. Um, this one was tricky with the rubber band because the rubber band had sort of got wrapped around a little bit of the food that was in the stomach. Um, and the cat had obviously chewed the rubber band a little bit as well. So we were so worried that it would be in multiple different sections. Um, my job was sort of, um, it can be quite tricky with vets at times, to be honest, because they are quite intellectual. Like, intellectual people but sometimes they are not the most practical people um, and I am very very practical and it's when you control the scope at the vet's end it's the opposite of what you're seeing so if you want a, the scope to move left you have to sort of angle it right um, and it retrospects around so it moves it can move at all angles pretty much um, anyway so as I was holding the cat's head tongue I would use my other hand to then make sure that the scope doesn't come out. So I'm holding the edge, but I'm also angling it slightly to then be able to see all the bits of rubber band. Using the retractor to um, insert into the vet's end to then it comes out into the stomach where the light source is and the camera is. We eventually, probably after 15 or so minutes of um, trying to find the best bit to grab and trying to actually grab it, because um, these forcep ends at a tiny, tiny, like they're smaller than your little nail. They're, um, you know, really, really small. So we eventually grab the bit of rub, the rubber band and the first bit comes out really well and um, we pull the whole scope out as as you retract. Um, and so that's good. So we've got so we've got a big chunk out and we think, oh, is this all the rubber band? So we go back in and have another look around and no, it's not all the rubber band. So we, again... Um, find another long strand and we pull it out it comes out of the sphincter just and then sort of gets caught and because the cat's breathing at the same time even by breathing it's sort of hard to then pull and it sort of got stuck on the um, the sphincter opening into the stomach anyway so that took a long long time it took, probably took another 20 minutes to dry, try and grasp that bit of rubber, rubber there the rubber band so it was really important that we got that bit out as well so it was two bits of rubber band um, and the cat had chewed it all the way along the events so it was very very lucky that it wasn't fragments left in the stomach we had a really really good search through there as well um, when doing scopes you the vet can um, uh, can in like fill the stomach with air so it's called insufflation um, and they use that as well when doing lap spays um, which I've mentioned before on one of the uh, previous uh, podcasts 
and they they can fill the the cavity. So this time it was the stomach, but with lap space it can be the whole abdomen around where the ovaries are to be taken out, and that allows us to visualise that cavity better. Um, it, it's important to do that, but the most important thing, especially that I've learnt while doing these procedures a lot of the time with the vets, is to also at the end of the procedure to remind the vet to um, deflate the stomach as well because it can cause, um, uh, if it's left inflated, it can cause like less oxygen to go to the area and um, yeah, it's really not good because there should be fluid and blood to that area. So um, it can pretty much cause extrusion and um, reduce venous return. There were, and we did it on a cow, oh, I think it was a month or two ago. I sort of wondered why it was breathing sort of poorly during recover, like during once being turned off isoflurin, the maintenance agent. And the, the vet had to go back in there with the gastroscope and deflate the stomach pretty much. Because you know, putting air into the stomach can put pressure on the lungs as well, um, and it obviously looks distended. You can see on the animal usually. Um, so yeah, so we um, filled the stomach with air, checked it all as well, and you can flush a little bit of water in there and suction that as well. Um, but we were quite happy, and the the, the <laughs> what was funny enough with Robin, the pieces actually um, fit together, and you can see clearly that it matched. They also gave us an example or. I think we found an example of the largest rubber band that we could find and it matched up the same length. So we were quite happy that it um, it all came out. So the cat recovered really well and was able to go home um, that later on that night, um, which the owners were really, really thankful for. So if, if we hadn't have got the rubber band out um, using the endoscopy, we would have had to have gone in and done an X lap to remove it surgically um, from the stomach, which would have been very expensive for the owners. It would have been more of a risk to the patient as well because it would have been a longer anaesthetic and making an incision into the stomach could have caused high risk of infection. Um, so... It really does help having um, or being able to use uh, endoscopy to remove foreign bodies. Um, I've been involved in some funny removable foreign bodies and they are the most in, like fascinating to be a part of because you see a problem, you fix the problem and it's really, really like sometimes it's really, really tricky um, using the scope and it's definitely like a team sort of job um, when it goes successfully. <clears throat> We removed a skewer a couple of weeks ago as well from a puppy that would have definitely um, perforated the stomach and just, oh, it would have been a mess, I think. Um, so that was really, really cool to come uh, to remove that because um, it was a very large skewer in a little dog. I've also been in uh, removed, we had a, we, a type of nut that was removed from a cat's uh, nasopharynx. So like the bit where the nose sort of is at the back of the throat. And um, it was really, really funny because this cat had had sneezing for a while. It had a CT and then um, we decided to scope it. Um, but when we got the, the nut out and we used a basket cage type of um, 
uh, retractors as well for that one because that's that's a really interesting design. Um, but then it was a discussion of with, with, what type of nut the cat had sort of tried to chew and then inhale um, and it was just stuck at the back there. So it was a really funny discussion to think of what type of nut and I think it was an almond but there were lots of discussions about the nut. Um, also we removed, the team's removed feathers from cats um, and I've <laughs> been a part of the weirdest one I think I removed was uh, or helped remove with a vet team back in Australia was uh, a condom, a used condom that the cat had got into the like the waste basket in the um, the bathroom of these owners and yeah had eaten that so that was a great one especially because it was with one of our my male vet colleagues so that was quite funny. Um, yeah, a lot of like I've heard I haven't been involved in one, but a lot of tampons and sanitary items being removed. Um, yeah, always a great day. Um, and one time it was a chicken neck um, that had got stuck on in a small uh, breed dog's um, esophagus. <coughs> that wasn't very funny to laugh at, but at the time it was kind of funny, I think, because it obviously recovered well as well. So at the end of these ones, they're always good because you can laugh about it uh, if it goes well and it's sort of it feels successful for the team so it's always a good good day if it does end well um yeah in in the referral team we do a lot of rigid um, endoscopy as well um with uh rhinoscopy um usually so that's the nose easy to remember because it's rhino rhinos have the big horns on their nose um so that's usually for that's for taking samples and trying to investigate if there's foreign bodies in there. And that the difference in the actual scopes is that one is rigid and it's sort of it can be about 30 centimetres long or shorter. And um, yeah, usually it goes straight into the orifice that you're investigating. Um, and that's the, the one that we use for laparoscopy. That is a rigid type. Um, so, and, and it's the same for arthroscopy as well, actually. So they're rigid types that we use quite a lot. Um, it's probably the most, most used equipment that we have in terms of the referral specialist department, um, because it can be used with the medics and the surgeons. Um, so yeah, so that was really good on Friday. It was a good way to end the week as well, feeling like I've sort of accomplished, um, that I'd accomplished something that was a problem that we had. And there was a clear um, way to resolve it. And we did it. So, um, yeah, I really do enjoy them, especially with the vets that I work with. It's always very, um, they're very passionate, very passionate. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much talking about the scopes. Um, quite excited to be back on surgical this week. I think it's a lot busier week. We've got more procedures booked in. So that'll be quite good. And it's only a shorter week this week because we've got the long weekend coming up next week, which we finally get to meet friends out in public and have picnics next weekend. So I think it'll be a really positive week. And I have obviously got a lot to think about in terms of if I should go on tonight. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. I think this week's point might go to emergency or um, after hour work because that's what's just been on the back of my mind and I've been missing a little bit. Um, 
Although again, I do obviously love my job because I'm working with great people and working with animals every day, which I obviously love. Um, if anyone has any input in terms of what work they prefer, what hours they prefer, and if I should actually go back on tonight, um, do give me a message on my Instagram page, The Vet Nurse Diary, and um, I hope you all tune in next week. Thanks.